text, we know by now the theme of Hebrews, which is... I'm glad somebody could read the screen. The theme of Hebrews is... Oh, I did not hear you, church. That is so much better. Thank you so much. Well, this reality, this truth, this critical truth was brought home uh, to me in a fresh and a new way as my wife and I have been reading together a wonderful devotional book called My All for Him by Basilia Schlink. I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, as she was known as Mother Basilia Schlink, she was a a Lutheran uh, woman of God who just gave herself in entirety to God and wrote a number of incredibly wonderful devotional books. If you ever have the opportunity to come across one of her books, pick it up. It, it will be a treasure to your soul. It's one of those books that you just read a line and you need to stop and meditate. But in the beginning of this book, she wrote these words on its first page. What these pages contain are not thoughts about first love or bridal love for Jesus. And that's what the book is all about, understanding that Jesus is our bridegroom and that is a bride and bridegroom are so deeply in love, so also the Lord wants us to know that kind of intimacy and yes, even ecstasy in our fellowship and in our relationship together with him. But she says it's not about that, but rather what I myself have experienced along the path of life and of love for Jesus. She says, I must bear witness and testimony about the truth of this verse from the psalm, uh, the psalmist David in Psalm 73 and verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. I know that's a beautiful verse of scripture, but how many of us can honestly say that we identify with that verse of scripture. That in all of this earth, there is absolutely no one, there is nothing, and even in the heavens, no one, nothing that I desire beside you. And she writes these words, Lord Jesus, you are my everything. When we lay hold of the theme of, of Hebrews, we come to that place. When that theme gets down into our heart and consumes us, it brings us to that place where we recognize and acknowledge that Jesus is so much better he is so far superior than our fondest dream or greatest expectation. And when we have him and when we know him, we have everything. This is the place that each and every one of us need to come. Where nothing and no one else matters but being holy in love with Jesus. Yeah, we need to be in love with 
our spouses, our children, our brothers and our sisters, but there's a love that supersedes all others. So if someone offends us, we're so in love with Jesus that that offense does, is like water off of a duck's back. Because Jesus is everything. And I am preaching to myself this morning. So if anything touches your heart, then thank God for speaking to you because I am always preaching first to myself. This is a message that I need. This is a, a truth and a reality that I want to apprehend in my life. You know, I'm at an age now where I've experienced pretty much everything that life has to offer, but none of it can compare to Jesus. And the older I get, the more I realize how precious Jesus is. See, it, it, so often in our Christian life, yeah, we want Jesus, but, you know, we're really after this because we know when we get that, then we're really going to be fulfilled. Oh, yeah, I, I love Jesus, but when I fall in love and get married, that, that's going to be the epitome of everything that I've ever hoped for, dreamed for, wanted, desired in my life. Friends, we just don't know that Jesus is better. We don't know it. We know it as a doctrine, but in experience, we don't know the reality that Jesus is so much better. I'm sorry, I need to get to our text this morning. By some miracle, we've graduated from chapter one. Are you surprised? Sometime it takes me forever to, to get through a passage of scripture, and I know we spent a lot of time in those first few verses, and then last week we, we blew through several at the uh, lower section of the chapter so that we could finally get to chapter two. So I invite you to chapter two this morning as we read together Verses 1 through 4, we were where we will be speaking on the theme of the danger of drifting. The danger of drifting. So follow on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, can I see? I know we're living in the 21st century. Most people have phones. Yeah, raise them high. I am, oh, wow, you're blessing me, church. Thank you. Some of us still carry our Bibles to church. And that's not to condemn those who don't, but... There's just something about holding the sacred book and reading from it. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit who wrote these words, would write them upon our hearts and that we would receive the truth and the challenge, the exhortation of your word today and bring our lives into alignment with your perfect will and plan. 
Let your word run swiftly and be glorified today. For Jesus' sake we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, verse 1 begins with that word that we've heard, I guess, every time we come across that word, therefore, while I'm preaching, I will always tell you that it's very important if we are to interpret Scripture accurately that we understand what it's there for. So chapter 2 begins with, therefore, it harkens back to what we find in chapter 1 where we've seen how the writer to the book of Hebrews speaks about this glorious truth. That in times past, God spoke through the prophets, but today he is speaking to us through his son, Jesus. Do we get that, church? Do we really get that? That Jesus speaks through, or the Spirit is speaking to our hearts through Jesus today. Sometimes we like to chase some prophets because we want to get a word from the Lord. But if our focus and our attention is not primarily on Jesus and on hearing his voice, did he not say, my sheep hear my voice? God wants to speak to each and every one of us. Speak into our own hearts. Speak concerning what our needs are. Make the word that we read relevant to us and to our need. So what do we learn about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1 and in verses 1 through 4 in particular? This is important that we understand this because what he is saying therefore is referring back to this passage of scripture. And I'm just quickly going to rattle these off. That Jesus as God's son is the heir of all things. Secondly, Jesus is the creator. By him, the worlds were made. Thirdly, Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. Jesus is the express, exact image of God the Father. Jesus is the sustainer. He upholds all things. Jesus, by himself, purged our sins when he went to the cross. And when he finished his work, he was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now you read that and you wonder how these Jewish believers could think that there is any merit in going back to Old Testament Mosaic religion. Now that Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law, who is the glory of God, who is the word of God, who is the creator, who is the sustainer, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Oh, the glory of Jesus. He is so much better than what Moses could provide and what Moses could declare and what Moses could offer. Oh, you want to glorify angels? Well, let me tell you, Jesus is so much better than the angels. And it's because of these statements that the writer to the Hebrews is making and the gravity of these statements in showing that Jesus is so far superior that there's something that happens within the spirit of this author as he's inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, that he just pauses 
in the middle of this treatise that he's giving about how Jesus is so much better than the angels, and it's time to warn the saints of God. This truth that is shared is not to be taken lightly. This truth that is being shared is not to be ignored. We have greater responsibility because this revelation of who Jesus is came to us. And now if we fail to apprehend it, if we fail to give it the more earnest heed, then there will be greater consequences that we will have to pay. We need to understand the gospel is not this just sentimental story about a man who was born of the Virgin Mary and who one day went to the cross because the Jewish leaders of the day hated him and they were jealous of him. The gospel is the revelation of God for each and every one of us. The revelation of God. God for each and every one of us. And how are we responding to that revelation? How are we living because of that revelation? We must never take Jesus and the price that he paid for us for granted. We must never become apathetic toward this thing that we call Christianity for this thing that we call Christianity is Christ and how he brings transformation and change into our lives it's radical and when we become complacent it signals there's something dangerous about the apathy and complacency that comes into our hearts. Because the seriousness of this, my Christian friend, has everything to do with my eternal destiny and your eternal destiny. We think, oh, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. I know my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and when Jesus comes again, I I'm going to go to be with him. Not so fast. Not so fast. As we're going to look into this passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to read this morning, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Well, let's look more closely, firstly, at these words. We must. What's the Scripture say? We must give more earnest heed. I don't know how many of you love to do what I love to do, but when I read a passage of Scripture, I love reading it in different translations of the Bible. <laughs> and I was reflecting back to the old days, back in the 70s when I was pastoring, and all over my desk were as many books as I could put there, different translations of the Bible, and I'd have to hunt for this Bible to find what I was looking for. Now, you know what? One click on the computer screen, and all of those verses are right there, right in front of you. Let me quickly just read them to you. We must pay much closer attention than ever. We must give our full attention. We must be more careful to follow. We ought to more diligently observe we must pay much more careful heed. We must hold on more 
firmly. We must listen very carefully. We must give more abundant heed. And I like this one. It's crucial to keep a firm grip. See, giving more earnest heed means from the original Greek language, giving abundant or abounding attention. It's not just, oh, I think I saw that. Oh, I think I heard that. But then you, you move on to something else. No, you galvanize your attention on this thing. You give it all of your focus. You pour your heart and soul into what you've just read, what you've just heard. This is not something that is to go in this ear and out the other ear. It's something that requires deep meditation. It's something that I need to heed. It's something that I need to hear. It's something that I need to give my attention to. It's not optional. It's not take it or leave it. Maybe I will or maybe I won't. It requires my full and undivided attention. Because taking heed means I'm taking hold of it. Taking heed means I'm grabbing onto it with a tenacious grasp and I'm not, I'm not going to let it go. Because I know that what I'm holding onto is the means to my eternal life, is the means to my fulfilling my destiny and my purpose for which God created me. I'm not letting go. It's a radical response. It means you're bound to a goal. You're going to lay hold, as the Apostle Paul said, and he lived for one thing, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus had laid hold of him. And he was not going to stop until he apprehended that in his life, giving it all that he had. Interesting that this is the same word that we find in Hebrews 6 and 17. And we're not going to spend time on this verse because when we get to chapter 6, we will deal with it. But that scripture says, thus God determining to show how. How does God want to show? More abundantly. Isn't that awesome? God God doesn't like playing games with us. God doesn't like keeping us in the dark. After he paid the price that he paid on the cross, he wants to more abundantly reveal the riches of his grace, reveal the glory of his love, reveal the incomprehensible depth of his love that we could never plumb. And yet we go through life wondering, does... Does God really love me? Does he really care for me? See, when God speaks, when God moves, he does it with a desire for more abundantly, full and overflowing measure that that we understand and that the purposes of his heart are revealed to us. And so if that is how God is, don't you think he has a right to expect that when so great a salvation has been given to us that we respond in like manner by giving it more abundant heed? By giving it all of our attention? By giving it all of our focus? By giving it time and meditation? I believe that nothing less will ever satisfy God. And the reality is nothing less will ever satisfy what God created us to know and to have. Here's the challenge. In order to give the more earnest heed, 
We need to listen and listen very, very carefully. And so that begs the obvious question, does it not? What are we listening to? We listen to a lot of stuff. And a lot of that stuff is just nothing but a lot of noise. I don't know about you, but Kathy and I have a favorite TV show that we enjoy, When Calls the Heart. It's not much good on TV, but that's a good one. So if you're looking for a, a good family drama, When Calls the Heart is awesome. So Kathy and I look forward to that, and we don't, we don't ever want to miss it. But we're committed to TV shows. Isn't that interesting? We're committed to following our favorite news anchor because we like their slant on the news. We have all of our podcasts lined up and that person's opinion means a lot and this other person, I want to hear what they have to say. We check our social media often and regularly. There's something my wife catches me on. It's our day off, and there I am looking at my phone, checking my email. It's like, honey, can't you take a day off? Husbands, that's a message. Our wives deserve our undivided attention. And honey, I ask for your forgiveness for the times when I fail to do that. But how does all of this compare to how we listen to Jesus, to how we give our attention to what God has deposited in our lives. You know, we want to make sure that we have our computer connections, don't we? But how many of us are on heaven's wavelength? How many of us have our ears tuned more to heaven than we do to social media? The challenge before us is clear. Are we listening to the Lord? Are we making provision for God's word to truly get into our hearts? Because until it gets into our hearts, if we're just hearing and it's going in this ear and out the other, it's of absolute no value. If our Bibles are parked on our book tables and we only pick them up on Sunday morning when we come to church, they're not doing us any good. Some people might even have the notion, well, I, I go to church every Sunday and I hear the pastor preach and I know he preaches God's word, so I got my fix for the week. Well, do we go through life eating once a week? How is it that we think that one sermon a week will do us good? Well, did Jesus say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If we need more than one meal a week and even more than one meal in a day, some people need three and even four and five. But it speaks about our appetite for the things of God. And you know what's really sobering? If you're counting on the sermon to do something for you, statistics tell us 15 minutes after you walk out of this church, you will forget this sermon. That's really sobering to me as a pastor. You know, I spend 30 hours or more preparing a sermon, and then in 15 minutes, it's forgotten. That's why we need to pray, Lord, take your word, put it into my heart. Help me to, what does Joshua 1.8 say? We need to meditate on it day and night. 
The word of God isn't a little dessert that we just, we, we just take a little taste of and run away from. It's something to be savored. It's something to be chewed on. It's something that needs to get down into our DNA because only when it gets down into our DNA can it bring transformation and change. I don't need to talk about the salvation of our soul. The salvation of our soul will never take place until the word of God has its rightful place and does the work that it needs to do. Some people are carrying baggage from years and years and years and that baggage is never dropping off. You know why? Because the word of God is, is that water that will cleanse us but if we're not availing ourselves of the water of the word, we're not being cleansed. We're not being washed. We're not being sanctified. We're not being made more holy. Being made more holy doesn't mean that, ladies, you put your hair up into a bun and you stop wearing makeup. Being, being holy is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Living and acting and reacting as Jesus would. And so if we're really serious about this, it means that we're going to be intentional about listening. We're going to be like the Bereans. You remember the Bereans from Acts 17 and verse 11? They searched the scripture day after day to see if what Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Do you go home on Sundays? Do you say, I, I, I got to get into the word here. I, I need to make sure that what my pastor was preaching was the truth. <laughs> One of the highest compliments that a pastor can be paid is not, wow, pastor, that was a great message. Someone paid me a great compliment last Sunday when they walked out of church and said, pastor, I can't wait to get home and get in the word. Because something about what was preached last Sunday stirred their heart and they want to get into the word to make sure that the spirit of God is accomplishing all that he wants to accomplish in them and in their understanding concerning the word of God. So why is it so important that we give the more earnest heed? The answer is in that verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that were heard lest haply, I'm reading from the American Standard Version, we drift away from them. That's an old English word, haply, and it means without our awareness, without any intention on our part, lest we drift away. Let me do that again with the various translations. Lest we be carried away. Lest we let them slip. That we be not pulled away. That we do not fall. That we do not stray away. See, that word in the, in the original language describes a boat that has been untethered from its moorings and now is drifting now is at the mercy of the winds and the waves, and we know what happens to a vessel that is un unmoored. It's in danger of being shipwrecked. Drifting can be translated to float by. What happens when something is just floating down the river? It's just haphazard. It's the mercy of the wind. Wind goes this way, it goes this. If the wind goes that way, it goes that way. 
That, that's what happens when you see a piece of driftwood or you, you, you see a dead fish. It, it is just lifelessly floating by. There's, there's no purpose. There's no destination. There's, no, there's nothing of any meaning there. And by the way, we need to understand that we don't drift because we're doing anything wrong. You may be thinking, well, I hope I'm not drifting because I, I'm, I've searched my heart and my heart is clean. I'm not living in any unconfessed sin. But the reality is we drift away because not what we did do, but what we did not do. Because over time, if we're just going through the motions if our affections are not being intentionally set upon the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Colossians 3.1, set your affections on things above. If you don't intentionally set those affections on things above, you're going to turn the TV on and they're going to advertise something that is just purely of this world, that appeals to your carnal nature, that is not glorifying to God and is possibly something that God really doesn't want you to have. But if that's where your affections are, that's where you're going to go after. That's where your resources are going to go. That's where your energy is going to go. Here's a good test to take. If you can remember a time in your life when you were more passionately in love with Jesus than you are today, then I want you to know something. It's very sobering. That means you're drifting. Because the reality of our life is if we are not on a trajectory that is moving us forward, then we are digressing. Oh, I want to get closer to Jesus. You want to get closer to Jesus? You keep walking away from him. Be because you're not intentional about your walk with God. Oh, I'm intentional about coming to church on Sunday morning. I'm intentional about paying my tithes. And bless you. God knows our church needs your faithful stewardship. But that is not really what is helping your soul. That is not really what is drawing you closer to Jesus. It's not going through religious formalities and rituals. What is drawing us closer to Jesus is when we are opening up our hearts to him and his mother Basilia experienced the deep love of Jesus consuming her. That there was nothing and no one more important than Jesus. And every moment of every day, she was consumed with Jesus. She learned the lesson, even when she was working for Jesus, that when there were times when she felt like, oh, this is getting so tiring, the lover of her soul was Basilia for my sake. And that became her mantra. That became her watchword. That her lover was telling her, she's not doing this for that other person. She's doing it for the lover of her soul. When you're in love, you will do anything. The sad reality is we're not that deeply in love with Jesus. So we scoff and we balk and we, we don't put our best foot forward and we need to be coaxed and we need to be, uh, we need to be chagrined into, will you do something for Jesus? You know, the sad reality in this 21st century Christianity, and I'm not talking about you precious saints because now I'm preaching to the choir, but there's so many people that are not even in church today because I guess I've not done a good enough job of coaxing them. Where's their heart? Do we come to church for the pastor? 
Well, the pastor hasn't called me in six weeks. Why should I go to that church? He doesn't even care about me. I didn't know you came to the church for pastor. You came to the church because you love Jesus and you want to worship Jesus and you want to be with your brothers and sisters in corporate worship to give him honor and to give him glory. Thank you, amen. Here's the danger and here's the subtlety. It's very often a very slow drift from what we know is right to then accepting what we know in our hearts is wrong. And yet, because we've drifted so far away, we then embrace the wrong. That's why we must give them more earnest heed. Nothing less than our abundant heed, our abounding heed, our focused heed, is then capable of receiving God's abounding grace. God's not going to dole out his grace to someone who doesn't even want it. God's not going to dole out his supernatural impartation of strength to continue to run this race and to fight the good fight to those who are not in it with all of their hearts. Some Christians wonder, why am I so defeated? Well, how much energy or effort have you put into your walk? Work out, the scripture says, your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Give it your all. Don't be apathetic. Don't be complacent. It's because of this sad lack of more earnest heed that there's this terrible feebleness in our Christian lives, this anemia that we're weak, defeated, discouraged Christians because we've not opened our heart to give God our all. So quickly going on, and I need to bring this message to a close. Why must we give the more earnest heed? Because the scripture says, for the words spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. God's word is very, very clear here. In the old economy, what God had written, if the people of God were disobedient to what God had required of them, the consequences were theirs to pay. Those consequences were non-negotiable. You failed, this is what happens. You know, you read those chapters in Deuteronomy 28 and 29. I set before you life and death. Choose life. And then you have all of those wonderful, wonderful blessings that if you choose life, I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. I'm going to make you above and not beneath. And you're going to be blessed when you go in and when you come out in your storehouse. Everything is going to be blessed. And then he says, if you disobey. God's very clear. There are more consequences to disobedience, more listed consequences because it doesn't take a whole lot for God to bless and just overflow us with blessings if we walk in obedience to him. But in the old economy, if every transgression was punished with a reward of retribution, with a penalty for breaking the God, God's law, then the writer draws this conclusion and he gives us this warning. How then? How is it? conceivable how is it possible that we can escape if we neglect so great a salvation you know that word neglect in the original greek means to have no care for or to be unconcerned about 
And again, it goes back to what we've been sharing. It's an apathy and this casual attitude that will lead inevitably to drifting. We're going to catch the drift of the culture. We're going to start thinking like the world thinks, talking like the world talks. How many churches once adhered to whatever this book said, that's it, period. Let God be true and every man a liar. And how many of those churches today, oh, we love everyone. And if that's the way you want to live in sin, God still loves you. You know what those churches are doing? They're not doing those people any favor because they're preaching damnation. They're preaching a deception that lets people think you can continue in your sin and you're still going to make it into heaven somehow. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Andrew Murray puts it this way with these sobering words. We will perish more surely and more terribly than those who sinned under the Old Testament. And let's not think that it's just blatant sin that we'll be punished for. Or we're going to be punished for not taking more earnest heed and just drifting unconsciously with the current of worldliness. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. The things that we gloss over, the things that we whitewash, the things that we rationalize away as Julie prayed so beautifully this morning. Lord, we just allow these things to lodge in our heart and we think it's okay, but in God's sight, it's not okay. We need to give the more earnest heed. It's, it's, we worry about the blatant sins. And God's saying, what about that little sin that is just as much a sin in my sight as adultery or as murder? Does Jesus say, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer? Whew. Does Jesus not say, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery? And we gloss over lust as if, oh, well, I'm, I'm a man. I'm, in a, I'm an Italian stallion. I've got that blood flowing through my veins. God says that sin of lust is adultery in my sight. Give the more earnest heed. What caused judgment to fall on the Israelites in the wilderness? I know there was a time when God poured out his judgment because of the golden calf. But as they wandered in the wilderness, they didn't get into the promised land. you know why? Not because of adultery and immorality, but because of their ingratitude and their unbelief. Wow. Well, the Holy Spirit just shot an arrow into my heart. You know, it's easy for us human beings to become ungrateful when we have so much to be thankful for. And yet we have ungrateful hearts. And instead of acknowledging all the good that God does for us, when something bad comes our way, we all of a sudden are overwhelmed with our ungratefulness. When God has demonstrated over and over and over again his great faithfulness to us, how often we fall into unbelief. Oh God, are you really there? Don't you see what's going on right now? 
How can we become so untrusting in such a God who is so trustworthy? How shall we escape? Why is there such a harsh warning? The answer is in these next words. Because it's so great a salvation. We say so glibly, I'm saved. Do we, do we really understand all that that means? First of all, do we understand the price that was paid for our salvation? Do we understand that the Godhead who created this universe that is so immense, it just, our minds could never ever comprehend the immensity of it, the greatness of it, and that God created these human bodies that are just, they're just beyond amazing. I mean, some of us are wowed by technology today. There's no technology that can compare to what God created in a human body, how it functions, how the brain thinks, how all the systems work so that we could live and move and think and talk and act and enjoy and, uh, and all of that that life offers to us. But all of that pales in comparison to this great salvation. This great salvation that the writer to Hebrews says in verses 3 and 4, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord God and also bore witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Do you know, you know, what, the, do you know what the apostle is telling us here? He's telling us this great salvation has all of the Father's heart, has all of the Son's commitment, and has all of the activity of the Holy Spirit to make it personal and real and life-transforming for each and every one of us. And yet we just, huh, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian? You've been saved from eternal wrath. Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus said, I am in you and you are in me. Whoa! You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. This is such a great salvation. It will take all eternity for us to worthily worship God for so great a salvation. What are the hosts of heaven doing surrounding the throne of God today? They are bowing and worshiping and saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, because the Lamb who was slain has redeemed us to God. Out of every tongue and every kindred, every race and every people. What a great love. What a great mercy. And as we come to the communion table today, can we value with all of our hearts this great salvation that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit brings to us? and desires to make even more real to us. Do you remember the day you got saved? <laughs> well, what, what has happened to the enthusiasm? What has happened to the zeal? Why, why do we get so cold and indifferent? And we've lost, we've lost the, the fire of that first love we felt when Jesus first revealed himself to us and washed away our sin. When the scripture says the path of the just is as the light of day that grows brighter and brighter. 
<laughs> and God wants us to know this great salvation in ever-increasing levels of glory that we are being changed from glory unto glory unto glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We ought to give. We must give the more earnest heed so that we do not drift See, there's a twofold warning in this passage that we've read. The danger of drifting and the danger of neglecting so great a salvation that can cause us to lose out with God. I'm not going to get into eternal security because I know that that school has all of their verses lined up as well as the Armenians that have all of their verses lined up for why we can lose our salvation. But what should grip our hearts today is, God, I never want to be in that place that I've drifted so far from you that I don't feel your presence, that I don't know the depths of your love, that I'm not walking in communion and fellowship with you. God, if I'm in that place today, draw me back to yourself. Draw me back to yourself. And through the cross... Christian friends, through the cross, he is drawing us back to himself today. The cross cries mercy for all of us. I don't care how far we've drifted. I don't care how cold our hearts have become. Today is a day of salvation. And if you're hearing the voice of the Spirit of God, he is wooing you back to himself. He desires to have all of you. And may it be the passion of our hearts, Lord, I want all of you as well, that I might know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings, that I might be made conformable to your image. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we pause in your presence and ask Holy Spirit to do what only he can do by causing that word that is a hammer to break the rockiness of our heart, the hardness of our heart, that we might hear, that we might give heed to the word of God, lest we drift away. God, by the power of your spirit, drive home to each and every one of us that there is no escape if we neglect so great a salvation. Help us to set our affection upon your grace today and upon your love for us. And as we take these communion elements today, let Jesus become more real to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen.